What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. Of course, with me, as always, Arif Dean, both of us from Mile High Sports. And I'm here to do some draft recap, right? Not too much happened draft-related, but definitely one of the more unique drafts I think we've ever seen here in Colorado. Yeah, the avalanche having the uh, 32nd pick or you know, being the 32nd from the top because they obviously won the Stanley Cup just hung out for nearly 200 draft picks before they made their first choice. And Joe Sagan ex- accepted an, aw- an award, right? Joe Sagan <laughs> accepted an award halfway through the first round and uh, sat there as 31 other teams went up to the table and said, thanks Montreal for the hospitality. Congratulations to Joe Sackick and the Avalanche. Although the Tampa Bay Lightning guy didn't congratulate the Avalanche. I thought that was interesting. He's like, fuck you. You beat us. We're not going to give you a congrats. But um, a very different kind of draft for the Avalanche for the first time in a very long time. And it's refreshing because they wanted to stay on the cup. So who cares? Yeah, exactly. It was kind of their chance to just be like, you know what? We got things figured out. We're just going to sit back, kick our feet up, and uh, watch you guys do your best to be us. Yeah, although I will say it's it's 2022, so it's an it's an even number year. So uh, for the Avalanche, even number years uh, don't matter in the draft because in 2013, they drafted McKinnon. In 2015, they drafted Ranton. And in 2017, they got McCarr. In 2019, they got Byram and Newhook. All the odd number drafts seem to work for the Avalanche. Even numbers, 2014, Connor Bleakley. Nobody knows where the hell he is. <laughs> Tyson Jost, we saw how that turned out. 2018, I can't even remember at this point who they took. 2020, uh, Justin Barron, who they've since traded. So, um, And then obviously 2021 was Oscar Olison, And, you know, we'll see how he turns out. He's an odd number draft. So he's on to, he's on to good things with the Avs. Well, I guess when your GM is apparently a magician at making trades and just as confident in his ability to trade you don't have to draft every year right you can stick to an every other year type of thing um so i think that's exactly what we need to talk about right Martin count in 2018 oh uh, yeah yeah not the best not the best definitely yeah. a lot of hanging third, out in the press box third rounder eustace Ananin. so that's the one that you're uh, you're hoping for to be the good one but but yeah i mean it was it was interesting obviously the, the first rounder they traded in the kemper deal the second rounder in the Devon Taves deal. The fourth rounder was the pick they sent to Detroit for Patrick Nemeth. Uh, they had a sixth and a seventh, and you'll notice I missed three and five for a reason. Right. Let's get into that trade because they sent three and five over to the New York Rangers for Alexander Gorgiev. Gorgiev, yep. So many people have different pronunciations of it, so I, I guess yeah. I'm just going to stick with the most common. Gorgiev, right? I've heard Georgiev. I've heard all of it. It's Gorgiev. For, yeah, it's for sure Gorgiev. It's an interesting spelling or pronunciation, but... I like it. Yeah, and then not only did the trade happen, but he signs today three years, 3.4 mil. So let's start in chronological order and break down the trade itself, and then we'll get into the signing in the term. Yeah, so I wrote about this the night of the trade that Joe Sackick wanted to get ahead and learn from what he did a season ago. And it's hilarious to say that last summer, Joe Sackick traded for a goalie, gave up a really good young defenseman in Connor Timmins, the first-round draft pick that he didn't have this year, and what ended up being a third-round draft pick down the line in a couple of years from now because the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup for Darcy Kemper. Knowing what we know now about Kemper and the fact that he's priced himself out of this market and he's moving on, if the Avalanche didn't win this, let's say they lost to the St. Louis Blues in six games. 
we'd all be talking about how Joe Sackett got host, but because you won the Stanley Cup, who cares? So despite winning the Cup, despite Kemper winning 10 games for you in the Cup, despite him winning 37 regular season games, Sackett still had something to learn from last year, and it was to not let his goalie take him all the way to the wire. Because Philip Grubauer did that last year, he ended up bolting for Seattle, and Joe Sackick at the 11th hour had nobody else to go for but Darcy Kemper. I think that's what was really unique about this whole trade, right? Is because you and I podcasted on Thursday, and the last thing we had heard is that conversations had happened that day, yep. and they were either to resume that night or the next morning. And instead of hearing anything else about that, the next piece of news we had regarding Avalanche goaltending was the trade. So it all just happened so fast, and we were anticipating more updates from the Darcy Kemper conversation. Yeah, I actually have an inside source that told me that Sackick was on the phone with Drury talking to talking about <laughs> Ray Bork or something, and then uh, Kemper, you know, came in. To, I'm always there's talking. footage. There's, there's footage. footage. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like Kemper came in wearing a snapback. He was wearing a shirt that had Zinn on it. I'm like, damn, <laughs> Kemper seems like a cool guy, and. Sackick sitting there talking to Jury about the glory days. Um, if you haven't seen the video yet, please check out JJ's uh, Twitter account. Hell of a video, but a um, little skit he did. But My first skit. I was really proud of it. So, yeah, yeah th no, thanks for one. pointing that out. Love, love how it was received. But, yeah, I mean, Joe Sackick, it seems like when they had those conversations, and there wasn't any formal offers made, but just from the initial conversations, it was very clear and obvious to Joe and his staff that Darcy Kemper wasn't going to be able to come back at the dollar amount that the Avalanche were willing to offer, or probably the years, or probably a combination of both. So trading for Georgiev was a very proactive move. The NHL goalie carousel this summer is going to be wild. Uh, for some reason, the Devils decided Vitek Vanacek was their guy. Um, but now the Capitals are on the market, and that's the front runner to where Darcy Kemper is going to go. They're going to have a Kemper and Samsonov duo uh, if they end up landing him. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers are in the market. The Toronto Maple Leafs are in the market. Seems like Jack Campbell's the guy Edmonton's eyeing. The Maple Leafs, nobody knows what the hell they're doing because there's like some Matt Mart Matt, Ma not Matt Martin, Matt Murray rumors, uh, the goalie that's been very terrible for the last couple of years in Ottawa. So you get the point. Oh, the other big one, the Iser the the Iserman, the Detroit Red Wings and Steve Eiserman went out and traded for Billy Huso and then signed him for four point seven five a year for the next three years. So the goalie market was thinning already. Sackick wasn't going to let the same thing that happened last year happen again. He wasn't going to let his patience bite him in the ass to the point where you wait for Kemper. Wednesday comes around. Wednesday night, Kemper goes elsewhere. And then you're looking around going, do we trade for Mackenzie Blackwood? Do we trade for Ilya Samsonov? What do we do and how do we overpay? He got a hold of the market before it got a hold of him. Well, I think what was I mean it really feels like they must have been really far off right I mean yeah. just not even in the ballpark otherwise I don't think Joe would have moved so quickly but I think from those initial conversations they said wow we are really far apart we're just going to move on at this opportunity and jump at it while it's still here to your point yeah and 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 that's the whole thing like if it was a conversation worth having like you know we'll talk about Nachushkin later on but it looks like there's a little bit of a difference between him and the Avs, but it, it's, it's obviously minor. it's minor. It's obviously something worth working toward. It's the same thing with Philip Forsberg and the Preds. That kind of stretched until they figured it out. Um, with Kemper, like the idea that I have is Joe Sackick, who had Kemper at less than five million last year because Arizona ate up a million of the deal. Um, the Avalanche had Kemper at a number less than five million. So in my mind, Sackick was probably saying, "All right." Darcy, here's the number, and he wrote it on a yellow sticky note. <laughs> here's the number that we could offer, and it was probably talking to his agents to get a feel 
of in Sackick and Chris McFarland's mind, because C-Mac's a big part of this operation, it was maybe a three to five year deal, three to four year deal around four and a half a year. And from the conversations, they probably realize Kemper's looking for that 5.9 to six plus that Grubauer got for six years. And you can't gap that. It goes back to the Kadri thing. It seems like with Kadri, they still want to talk to him and they're still making him a priority number two. Um, I still don't think Kadri comes back, but it looks like Sackick's working hard on that. But So just to be clear, the number you think Joe Sackick presented and the number you think Darcy Kemper was looking for? I think Joe Sackick, again, there were no formal offers made, according to the insiders. Okay. But I think in Sackick's mind, three to four years, around four and a half a year. And in Kemper's mind, five to six years, around six million a year. So off by two years and off by about a million and a half a year. So you can't bridge that. It goes back to the Kadri thing. The Avalanche might want him at three years, six million, while another team's going to give him seven years, eight million. So you're off at the numbers and the years. And when you put the two together, Kemper would be leaving 12 to 15 million on the table compared to what a desperate Washington team that needs goaltending badly might be offering him. So that's kind of the way that I see it. It's, it's the Avalanche and the, um, the Avalanche and Kemper's camp were off on numbers, were off on years, and Sakic said, screw it. Let me go back to the well and do exactly what I've done. Well, what I've done once before, what this team has done twice before. The Avalanche traded for Varlamov once upon a time, signed him to a three-year deal at $2.8 million. They traded for Philip Grubauer once upon a time, signed him for a three-year deal at 3.33. These are green bananas. These are players that haven't blossomed into what they are yet. And the Avalanche have been in the green banana business with goalies for about a decade now. And here they go again. Alexander Georgiev. Three-year deal, $3.4 million per year. He might blossom into a star. He might not pan out. The first two times that happened with the Avalanche, I would say it worked out pretty well. Varlamov and Grubauer are very respectable goalies, although we'll see how the rest of Gruby's career goes. But with the Avs, he was fine. He led them to the playoffs three times, and he was pretty good. Uh, Varlamov, he's still on the market, and that's another guy on the market that someone like Toronto or other teams might want to trade for. So with Georgiev, you're getting him for three years at 34 You've got Pavel Francouz signed up for, signed for the next two years at $2 million. For the next 24 months, the Avalanche have their goaltending duo, assuming Georgiev doesn't fall off a cliff. They have him locked up for a combined $5.4 million. If Kemper alone wants more than $5.4, you understand why this move was made. It's a very clear, uh, you know, it's a risk for the Avalanche. Georgiev, with Kemper, you know what you're going to get. With Georgiev, you don't. He might give you something lesser than Kemper. He might give you what Kemper gave you for less money. Or he might blossom into a star, and for the next three years, you're good. Yeah, I think that's where the problem lies, is he's so unproven, right? I've heard a lot of knocks on Pavel Francouz that he only has, what, I think it's 57 games played under his belt, and that even he's unproven. And I think Georgiev has 60 games more than that. So it's it's significant but it's not significant enough to be able to know exactly what you have in this goaltender right and i think considering that he's been a backup to to a really good goaltender tells you a little bit what you need to know that he's just simply not quite there of course goaltenders aren't supposed to be in their own until about 28 years old he's 26 so you still have a couple years there working with uc parkala can really do big things for his game but as far as you know stylistically i think he, he, he honestly, to me, is just a Pavel Francouz that catches with his left hand. They play so similarly. They're both, I wouldn't say undersized, but not the 6'3 to 6'6 goaltenders that we've seen in uh, recent years. What I do like about his game is, just like Francouz, his reflexes. His reflexes are unreal. I would even say they're a pinch better than Francouz's. 
Um, his ability to cover that backdoor pass, his slide into the butterfly and um, stop, you know, uh, again, a backdoor shot is unreal as well. He's super quick at getting across his crease, but he gets a little bit sloppy. right? The big knock I always had on Darcy Kemper is a lot of times when he is sliding, he ends up on his stomach. You see that from Georgiev often. You see some lucky saves out of him. Um, but so, yeah, what I'm saying here is you have a project on your hands. It's going to be UC Parkla getting to work. I almost think, tell me what you think about this idea. I know it's not going to shake out this way, but I almost think you go 50-50 with Georgiev and Francouz throughout the season. Come playoff time, you simply just go with whoever did better. I would go a little more than 50-50 just because at this point, you know what you're going to get from Francouz. You don't know what you're going to get from, from Georgiev. So think back to the 2018-19 season. The Avalanche bought in Grubauer to clearly take over the reins from Semyon Varlamov. Not the 19th season, the 2017-18 season, I should say. Um, was it 17-18? Yeah, 17-18. So they brought in Gruby to clearly take over. No, it wasn't 17-18. He won the cup in 17-18 with the Capitals. 2018-19, because 17-18 was Bernier. 2018-19, they brought in Gruby to clearly take over from Varlamov because Varley had one more year left on his deal. The Avalanche signed Gruby to that three-year, $10 million contract I talked about. So they brought in Gruby to clearly take over, to be the number one starter. But Gruby had a terrible start to the season. Varlamov played better. Varley was better until Varley got injured. Gruby went on a 13-1-1 run in March and April to get him into the playoffs, played the entire way into playoffs against uh, Calgary and San Jose. So it's the same exact thing happening now. When they brought in Gruby, who was unproven at the time, they brought him with the idea in mind that this is what he was going to do. So let's take a look real quickly. Right now, the Avalanche are bringing in a 26-year-old Alexander Georgiev who's played 129 games. He started 117. He's 58, 48, and 11. When the Avalanche brought in Philip Grubauer, he had only started 79 games. He was a career 43, 31, and 11. Yes, he had a better save percentage of 923, but he played for a much better defensively structured team in the Capitals than what Georgiev has had with the Rangers. So if Georgiev is a what I call a green banana and uh, he's not proven right now, well, Grubauer had only, play, had only started 79 games compared to Georgiev's 117 and was the same age of 26. So pull up Fransu's for me because... Those are very comparable. Essentially, you throw in those overtime losses, they're both 500 goalies coming in. I really like that comparison. But what I think you still have is the better goaltender in Pavel Fransuz, to be quite honest. But again, Fransuz, look, Fransuz is 32 years old. Um, he's been with the Avalanche long enough where you know, Frank, he's not a 55 to 60 game goalie. Georgiev has never had that opportunity. It's the same thing when Gruby was brought in. Gruby was 26 when he was brought in. He had come off that good regular season in 17-18, played the first two games in the playoffs, lost both to Columbus. Braden Holtby came in, won four straight against Columbus, went on to win the Cup, and had pretty damn good numbers. So with Francouz, you know what you're going to get. With Kemper, you know what you're going to get. With Georgiev, it's a goalie like Grubauer when the Avs got him, like Varley when the— and I hate comparing it to Varley because Varley was like 21. He started playing in the NHL when he was 19. It was pretty incredible. Like Cam Talbot when the Rangers once traded uh, Cam Talbot to the Oilers. Like Antti Ranta who was once traded to become a starter. Like Alex Nedeljkovic who was traded to the Red Wings last year. Vili Huso traded to the Red Wings this year. There's always that backup young goalie who's stuck on a team, who never gets an opportunity, gets traded to another team to finally get that opportunity. Grubauer and... Georgiev are the best comparisons because they were both 26. They both played on good teams behind a goalie that was clearly not going to give up the reins anytime soon. I wasn't going to say better because 
arguable between Gruby and Holtby. With the Rangers, you're not better than Shosturkin. Georgiev once was the heir to that Henrik Lundqvist throne. He was once the guy that they were going to rely on. Then suddenly this Shosturkin guy shows up from Russia, coincidentally played his first career game against the Avalanche back in January 2020, the day that Kadri clocked uh, Lindgren. <laughs> I'll always remember that game. Um, and he was taken over by Shosturkin, and since then his numbers have dipped. But when the Avs got Grubauer, he had played 79 games and he had 43 victories. When the Avalanche are bringing in Alexander Georgiev, he's got 117 games, 58 victories, and he's a guy that's not had that opportunity and is finally going to get it. Well, when Philip Grubauer left, I remembered not being too upset about it. I don't think I loved Philip Grubauer's game at all. He was adequate, and that's what they needed, and at times he wasn't adequate, right? So... I guess, tell me why you think that this is going to be a different scenario, and in three years, once this contract's expired, the Avalanche aren't running this guy out of town with pitchforks and torches. A um, couple things on that. You'll notice, even going back to Varley, the Avalanche have never had that upper echelon goalie. They've never had a Shesterkin or a Vasilevsky or a Carey Price or a Tuka Rask or a, even a Jacob Markstrom. Uh Ilya Sorokin, they've never had John Gibson when he was actually good because he's fallen off a little bit lately. They've never had that upper echelon goalie. In the last 20 years. Since Patrick Wild retired, obviously. So looking at, let's, let's start with this. The Grubauer of last year playing on the Avalanche's team this year probably would have done a lot better than he did in Seattle. <laughs> if it was Gruby Fransuz in 2021-22 this past season, do the Avalanche still win the cup? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Case in point, Kemper was better than Grubauer. Kemper is a better goalie than Grubauer, in my opinion. Agreed. In your opinion as well. But with Gruby, the Avalanche could have still won the cup. So with Georgiev, if he's going to be a Grubauer-level goalie at $3.4 million, you've got a winner. You can still win with this guy. If he's going to be a Kemper-level goalie at $3.4 million, you've got a winner. You can still win with this guy. If he's a little bit of a notch below both of those guys, you can probably still win. This team is freaking good. Well, in worst case but scenario, if, you still have Fransuz that you can ride. And you, exactly. like you said, you know what you've got, and there, there you have your, your fail-safe. Yeah, and the biggest thing is with the contract of Georgiev is if over the next three years he develops into a legitimate star, we're talking Jacob Markstrom when he was traded from the Panthers, where he wasn't given much of an opportunity, to the Canucks, he was in that Luongo trade, where he got his opportunity, we saw what he blossomed into. If that's what happens with Georgiev, coincidentally, Vancouver let him walk because they had Thatcher Demko. If that's what happens with Georgiev and you end up having one of the top five to seven to eight goalies in the NHL, re-sign him and run with him. If he gets taken over by the Avalanche's version of Thatcher Demko and Eustace Annanen, not even Fransuz, well, now you're, you've got a good situation on your hand. You've got a young goalie in Annanen ready to take the reins. You've got the veteran in Georgiev. And like the Canucks in the summer of 2020, they had to, well, fall of 2020, they had to decide between re-signing and keeping the young guy and letting the UFA walk or re-signing the old guy. They decided to let the older guy walk. They went with Thatcher Demko. The Avalanche could do that with Annanen. But if Georgiev ends up being good enough where like you're silly to let him go, then you do what the Rangers just did. You trade your backup in Annanen. You keep the starter in Georgiev. Who knows where the hell Fransuz is in three years. I'm talking as if he's gone in three years because he's only on a contract for two more years. So we'll see. And then the third scenario or fourth scenario of all these, Georgiev doesn't pan out. Fransuz walks, Annanen doesn't pan out. Well, that's three years from now's problem. And in three years from now, you can <laughs> trade a third and two more fifths for another green banana and see what the hell happens. Fact of the matter is, 
this Avalanche team is good enough where you don't need a Tuka Rask and an, an Andre Vasilevsky, an Igor Shosturkin. And this Avalanche team is good enough where that good enough team is going to eat up so much of your cap that it makes more sense to have a duo of Frankie and Georgiev making a combined 5.4, getting to the playoffs like this past year where both goalies were necessary and needed while still having this young kid and Eustace Ananen, who I have high hopes for, the team has high hopes for, and will likely take a big step over the next 24 months. There's a very big opportunity that in 24 months from now, Fransuz walks or retires or does whatever he does, and your starter is Georgiev, and your backup is Ananen, and we're talking about in this one year, Georgiev probably handing the reins to the young Finnish netminder. Yeah, I guess I, I really like that strategy of having a goaltender that you know is solid, maybe not great, but not terrible either in Fransuz, and then having these green bananas, right? You have the guy who's solid that can get you where you need to go, but then you also have this guy who might exceed expectations, and um, I guess that's the plan, and, and we'll see if it pans out. And, I mean, playing behind this D, oh, I can play goalie and maybe even win the Stanley Cup, to your point, right? And <laughs> so, um, you know, and you see that often. A, a good goalie playing behind whatever team goes somewhere else and suddenly isn't a very good goalie anymore. And I think that's might what might be what we see in Darcy Kemper. Um, and that's just a testament to how strong this defensive group is. So, yeah, why not? When you have a, a group like this playing in front of your goaltender, why not roll the dice a little bit and see what you can maybe find out of a haystack? Yeah, what I'm really curious about with the Georgiev contract is the way it was formatted. Um, because we've seen a lot of players lately, and, and at the end of his deal, he will be, I believe, a UFA. Yes, he will be a UFA at the end of his deal. We've seen a lot of players lately leave money on the table the first year or two because that's when the escrow is a little bit higher. And then ask for more money at the end because by the time you get to that third or fourth year of your contract, mm -hmm. less of it is being taken out with for escrow. Well, Georgiev is a little bit the other way around. He's going to make $3.6 this year. Well, this upcoming season, he's going to make 3.7 in the 23-24 season. And in the third year of his deal, he's only making 2.9. I thought that was interesting. But the most important thing to, to take into account with all those scenarios that I just listed, three years from now is this summer of 24-25 is the summer where the salary cap is expected to go up. Now, you work in real estate. The way that the salary cap is going to go up is going to be just an insane amount in that summer. Because the best way to think about this, and I'm going to try to make this as easy as possible for listeners to, to understand. And me. And you. <laughs> is this. Right now, the NHL has a flat salary cap because the players owe the owners money from the COVID stuff. When that money is paid off, it's not going to start going up gradually like it was pre-COVID. You have a home loan and you pay a mortgage of $4,000 a month and then you make your very last payment. You suddenly are a lot richer than you were a month ago because you suddenly have all of this money that was going to your mortgage right into your pocket as extra cash. That's what's going to happen with the NHL salary cap. The players are going to owe money until the moment you snap a finger and they no longer owe money. The salary cap is likely going to go up from about 84 and a half in the summer of 23-24. 12 months later, it's going to be about $100 million. So Significant. It's, yeah, yeah. It's so it's not going to go up just because they paid off the escrow. Now it's going to go back to the gradual increase of $340 million. No. Take the last five years because starting from 2020 when COVID hit until 2025 when the escrow was paid off, what the players owe the owners, in those five years, it would have went up $2 million, $3 million, $2 million, $3 million, $3 million. Put that all together. Take into account how much extra money the NHL is making off ESPN and TNT. 
and put that all onto the salary cap in one summer. So it's going to go up from about 84 and a half to probably 100 million in one summer. So hint, hint, wink, wink, if you're a UFA, you want to be a UFA that summer or if you're a star. Like in my opinion, this is a conversation for later in the offseason when we have nothing better to talk about. I think, and I know he's not going to do this, Nathan McKinnon would be wise to sign a two-year deal this summer and play one more year at 6.3, play his two-year contract at, let's say, $11 million per year, and then be a UFA in 24, 25, and look at the Avalanche and be like, all right, give me $17 million now. It's that the, would be the wise It's thing the classic do. gamble on yourself, right? It's it, what NBA players do. LeBron signs two-year deals every couple of years and makes a pay raise. And I think with Nathan McKinnon, it makes absolute sense. With Georgiev, it's an absolute gamble because, like we've been talking about, he's still improving these next three years, though. That tells me his willingness to sign that, he's confident that in these next three years, he's going to improve his value so much that he will be able to hit that FA market yeah. and, and cash out. But here's what I, the, the reason why I At went At age into, 29. Yeah, and the reason why Almost I went 30. into that, that entire, yeah, not even 30. The reason why I went into that entire preamble right now about the salary cap is to say if a 32-year-old uh, Darcy Kemper right now can get a six-year, six-million deal. If Georgiev in three years at the age of 29 is as good as Kemper is now, whether it's with the Avs or elsewhere, he might get $9 million on the market because of the inflated salary cap and how much more players are worth. So Brilliant. that's kind of the point. And yep. again, it goes back to like Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid signed an eight-year, $100 million deal, making 12 and a half a year. If he was wise enough, and it's such a hockey player thing to do, to sign as many years as possible, which I think is so silly. We just need one to do it, and once one guy does it, everybody else with him. I got my money on Matthew Kachuk. That's the guy that's going to do it. But if if Connor McDavid signed a two-year $20 million contract, won a Hart Trophy, won a Hart Trophy, that two-year $20 million contract, he can suddenly leverage it into a two-year $25 million contract won another heart trophy last year had the season he had this year didn't win the heart but you know led the playoffs and points and whatever this summer he would be another free agent if he wants to stick with edmonton still you know he would have the leverage of walking elsewhere well then he goes from two years of 10 million to two years of 12 and a half to right now he looks at edmonton and goes 17 and then he signs a three-year deal summer of 2025 when the cap goes up Connor mcdavid can make 18 19 million so that's you need a player to do that but you know again that's a conversation for another day for georgiev it's smart for him to sign a three-year deal because he could have easily taken a two-year seven million dollar contract and just said all right i'll make three and a half or 3.4 the next two years by signing that third year by taking lesser money as a base number in that third year he's setting himself and he's betting on himself to say if i suck at least i made 10 million if i'm good Summer of 24-25, if Kemper is going to go out right now and make $6 million, summer of 24-25, I'm making close to 10 whether with the Avalanche or elsewhere. No, that all makes absolute sense. Too much sense, even. That's uh, some pretty good planning and looking ahead. I guess my last question before we have to get to uh, our sponsors here is it was also striking how quickly he got to resign with the Avalanche, right? They restructured his contract. Now we've got this three-year deal in front of us. What does that mean for all the other free agents? I mean, of course, we would have liked to have heard maybe a, a Lekanen re-signing by now or a Nachushkin re-signing by now. Does this mean that maybe conversations there are taking a little longer or going a little slower considering Georgiev showed up, got his contract signed first? Georgiev's a different kind of deal than what those guys are, are going to get. And this is kind of something that I've always hated when, like, let's say, like last year you have, and I don't remember who the Avalanche signed last year, but, you know, you have a UFA in Gabe Landeskog who went to the, not the 11th hour, the 11th hour and 45 minutes before, 15 minutes before the deadline of him being able to sign an eight-year deal is when he signed. But, like, 
you know, let's let's combine the two summers and be like, the Avalanche have a UFA in Landeskog, but they're busy giving Cogliano a contract. Everybody's like, what's wrong with Joe Sackick? You have to get your priorities in order. Well, yeah. Sackick wakes up at 7 in the morning, has a three-hour conversation with Landeskog's agents, and then they said, I'll call you back in a couple hours. And during those couple hours, he's like, all right, let me go take care of Georgiev and Cogliano. After I go for a run. After I go for a run, because I'm Joe and... <laughs> I'm going to give Arif and JJ shit for scootering around Tampa Bay. <laughs> um, that was funny. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the whole thing here. This is an RFA goalie, similar to Vili Huso with the Red Wings, where as soon as he was traded to a team that he knows they are giving they are handing him the reins to be the starter, to play 50-plus games, because you weren't going to get that with Shesterkin. You know what you're going to get right away. It's the same thing when they traded for Gruby and he signed right away. Um it doesn't mean that it became the priority. It just means that it was a far easier contract to structure, a far easier extension to make. When they traded for Burakovsky, he was an RFA as well, and they signed him right away too. So um, that's kind of the similar thing here where it was just going to be a much easier contract. And it was as soon as the trade was made, I believe, on Thursday during the first round of the draft or the day of the first round of the draft, the expectation was this contract was going to be signed during the weekend or by the end of the weekend. And lo and behold, Sunday afternoon it was signed. So um, – the Avalanche have a lot more work to do. There's some guys that we're going to talk about. There are other pending UFAs, but it doesn't mean that those deals are going south. It just means that this one was much easier to put together. Makes sense. Makes sense. I know we're all waiting with bated breath to hear who returns because I know, you know, there's a lot up in the air, especially with Kemper out of the picture now, saving Joe Sackick about two and a half to three million. So we'll see how that pans out. We'll get into that here actually in a second. But first, we'll talk about our friends over at Superbook Sports. Summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money, up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Before we get into the free agents, Arif, let's get into the draft. Since, again, we were planning on reviewing and recapping the draft on this podcast anyway. Of course, it was a little underwhelming considering two picks got sent to New York. Only two picks were made. Defenseman Chris Romaine and goalie Ivan Zhigalov. And Zhigalov, of course, the last pick of the draft who we deemed uh, Mr. Irrelevant. But considering he was in the building and where he was actually slotted in a lot of people's rankings, I think the Avalanche actually made a strong pick there. Yeah, it looks like... So there weren't a lot of goalies taken in the draft this year. There was none in the first round, two in the second round, none in the third round. So in the first three rounds, only two goalies. Four went in the fourth, five in uh, five in the sixth, six in the fifth, and two in the seventh. So add that all up. That's how many goalies were taken. It was the second, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. Obviously, one of the two goalies in the seventh round was the very last pick, 225th overall, Ivan Zhigalov. He was actually ranked by NHL Central Scouting as the second best North American goalie in the draft. Um, a couple of the goalies from Europe ended up going first. There was a guy that went 41st overall. He was the top-ranked European and top-ranked goalie. Um, obviously, Ivan was on the North American side because he plays in the QMJHL, so he's not coming from Russia. So that was one of the things that I first thought of. I said maybe the Russian factor plays a part here, but he's already here. He's not in Russia. He's not playing in the KHL or in their minor system, the, I think the MHL. He's playing in the QMJHL. So it was a little bit surprising that this guy fell to the seventh round. So it seems like the Avalanche were happy to get him. 
Does that mean he's, you know, the same kind of happy they were when Ryan O'Reilly dropped to the second round? I don't know. I don't know if this guy's ever going to be in any cheller. But it's very rare for the very last pick of a draft to be in the building. Usually it's some guy somewhere in, like, Antarctica selling cotton or doing some <laughs> random side gig, hopping with kangaroos, and then gets a text message like, you were drafted in the NHL. I was like, oh, sick. Uh, like, it's usually a very irrelevant pick. But it was very interesting that this guy was in the draft. He was so happy. He was so excited. He was obviously all over the Avalanche's social media because, again, they had two picks and the other guy, we don't really know much about him either. But um, a very interesting pick. And I think you and I said this when we podcasted last time. We said, take a goalie with the last pick. You should always take a goalie every year. So uh, Ivan Zhigalov, he will be at development camp, I assume, when the Avalanche skate at Family Sports Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. So in a couple of days from now. Um, but... Very interesting, very intriguing pick. He's in the QMJHL, and maybe this guy becomes a player someday. But regardless, the fact that we know this much about him already already deems well for him, given the fact that he was the last pick of a draft. Yeah, he's got a right-handed glove too, so another Fransuz-esque uh, player. Not that that really matters either way, but it sounds like he's a pretty athletic goaltender, which is what you want. You want the, that speed and that ability to get across the crease. So I'm with it, and it sounds to me like they just kind of – we're like, you know what? Let's just take the best player on on our board. I can't believe he's still here. We're just going to take him. I don't think it was a, a scenario where they said, all right, we're going to take a goalie with the last pick. They just simply said, wow, he's still available. Can't pass on him. Yeah. And again, it wasn't a very strong draft for goaltenders in general. Um, or anyone for that matter. Yeah, there was a lot of rolling the dice in this draft. It was a very entertaining draft, by the way. Like, good TV product. Really fun. Love that it was in Montreal. I think it should be in Montreal every season, if you ask me. What made um, it so good? Because I heard that from more than one person. I didn't. I didn't watch it. I was actually just chilling, watching, yeah. <laughs> watching something else. But uh, yeah, what made it such good TV? So, for starters, I wasn't there, but you can see it through the TV and from everybody that I talked to that was there. Other reporters and our very own Peter Ball was there as well. The uh, the atmosphere in the building was crazy. It was really good. It was, it was, and you can feel it through the TV too. So it wasn't the same kind of draft that I've watched in years past where it's like by the time you get to pick 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, it's boring as shit. I still think the NHL has a little bit to clean up. One of the things that grinds the crap out of my gears is how for every pick, 700 people go up to the stage. You got to shake all these heads, like send up Joe Sackick and maybe Chris McFarland and the AHL amateur or, and the amateur scout guy if even that many people. And then let's cut it out with the thank you, Montreal, for the hospitality. Congratulations to Joe Sackick. My least favorite one, this one gets me every single time. And I'll use the Avalanche one as an example, even though they didn't really do this. But uh, shout out to our watch party at the Blake Street Tavern in Denver. We love our fans. Cut that all out. But (laughs) So like, there are still ways you can make it a better TV product. But number one, the fans really kind of had a great there was a lot of buzz and a lot going on there the other thing that made it really well is the fact that we didn't know who the number one overall pick was going to be when Yuri Slavkovsky's name was called by the Montreal Canadiens the crowd being the home crowd also kind of were taken aback by it so there were some cheers there were some boos it was really strange Shane Wright who was highly touted for years ends up falling to fourth when he gets selected by Seattle, you can see him deadpanning to the Montreal table. It was very, very Which he tried to debunk today. Which, yeah, he tried to debunk that today. And you know that was his agent going, Shane, let's talk about this a little bit. So, um, But, man, then, Seattle did well, though. Yeah, yeah, Seattle did well there. But uh, I thought 
the fact that right before that fourth overall pick, Gary Bettman goes up to announce a trade and announces two Montreal trades that I thought in that moment Montreal was about to get the fourth overall pick and get both Wright and Slavkovsky. Well, they ended up trading Romanov to the Islanders for the 13th pick and then flipping the 13th pick to Chicago for Kirby Doc. So a good set of business. The trades were, were exciting. The trades were entertaining. The crowd, the way they were handling it, the way that players were shifting up and down the board different than years past. Everything about it was just a good TV product. I thought ESPN did a wonderful job with it. Um, you know, obviously, given this is the first year that NBC Sports wasn't showing the draft. So it was a good TV product. It was freaking good to see it back all in one room again after two years of whatever the hell that bullshit drafting that we had to do with COVID where like a player is selected and then it cuts to this pixelated camera of him and his family jumping up and down <laughs> somewhere in Sweden. So in their living room, in their living room. Yeah. So it was it was very well done. It was very entertaining. Uh, perhaps my favorite part and. Man, Gary Bettman showing his age. There was two trades where he screwed up. There was San Jose trading down where he got the picks wrong, where instead of San Jose acquiring, or sorry, instead of Arizona acquiring the 27th pick from San Jose, he said San Jose acquires the 27th pick from Arizona for this and that. And then right away, the the commentators had to correct and be like, flip it. And then my second favorite moment was Peter Morazic got traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. Have you seen the video of this? Gary Bettman went up there and said, the Toronto Maple Leafs trade goaltender Peter Mazarek and the, the whatever, 28th pick to uh, Chicago for pick 41. And then he always recaps the trade at the end. Again, Mazarek. He 20th, doubled down. He doubled down on it. So Gary Bettman kind of has shown his age a little bit, but. And showing the fact that he doesn't watch any NHL, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, my favorite, and and, and Mike might hate me for, uh, for for saying this out loud. In 2016, uh, before I ever moved here, years before I ever moved here, um, Mike Chambers. Actually, it was 2015. Mike Chambers flew out to Detroit to cover the Avalanche Red Wing game. So I picked him up from the airport. We went out to lunch, and I had tickets to go to the game as a fan. And that night, because the Avalanche had injuries, Calvin Pickard was making his first career start after a couple of like in relief games where we're like, hey, this guy might be a big deal. Calvin Pickard and Peter Morazic were drafted in the same draft. Morazic had just taken over the reins three games earlier for the Red Wings because Jimmy Howard was injured. So I'm sitting at lunch with Mike and I said, I'm going to write a blog on my blog website about how Morazic and Pickard, the two highest picks of goalies in their draft year, are now going head to head. And Mike looked at me with this dumbfounded look and said, and I quote, who the fuck is Morazic? <laughs> and I thought of that instantly because seven years later, Gary Bettman called him Peter Mazarek. Gary Bettman has no idea who the fuck Morazic is, just like Mike didn't know in 2016 when he had three career NHL games. Just for fun, I've always called him Mr. Azek. <laughs> That's great. That's a good one. Uh, uh, but yeah, also Chicago being silly. I don't know what the hell they were doing. They traded Alex DeBrinket. They traded Kirby Doc. Clean in house. Yeah, their their new goalie is now going to be Mazarek. Uh, <laughs> it's been uh, word on the street as both Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubalik are not going to get uh, qualifying offers. So Kubalik's going to free agency. This is a guy that scored a lot of goals a couple years ago too. Do you think Joe is licking his lips in any way? Do you think either of those two are possibilities? For they are. The I'm, I'm trying to think of who the – there was someone that didn't get qualified that ended up going to free agency in the last few years that Sackick ended up signing, and I can't remember who it was. Uh, Val Nachushkin was obviously the buyout, so he was a UFA at a young age because of a buyout. 
but there was someone that ended up going to UFA and I can't remember who it was and I'll probably look it up. But again, those are the bargain buys. I talked about it last week. Like you want to get the bargain players, the projects that you can develop and maybe, maybe Kubelik's that guy. Yeah, exactly. Seems to be a, a good method, a good philosophy to try to use. Um, I'm going to let you look that up. In the meantime, I'm going to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody already knows Total Beverage because they've been listening to this podcast and they know Total Beverage is a great place for all your adult beverage needs, right? Both in Westminster and Thornton. Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they also deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? Something we should all be taking advantage of. Why not just, you know, this offseason improve your... Uh, knowledge of the wine game so if you don't know all these things it's time to get to know total beverage again stop by on 104th and thornton or on sheridan in westminster and see for yourself or you can always find weekly deals events and even drink recipes online at totalbev.com total beverage everything you need and more did you find it Eric? i did not i'm, I'm having trouble uh looking this up this is great for podcast material <laughs> but uh It'll take a sec. Well, we'll keep looking into it, and I'll see if I can find it. I know I don't think it was uh, 2020. That was the year that they signed a bunch of guys like Sheldon Dries and and Kiefer Sherwood and whatever. Um, but I, I there was someone. It's, it's It'll just, come the, to you. You will find it. Hopefully, we find it by the end of the show. If not, we'll dig into it afterwards. But for the meantime, let's move on. We wanted to talk about the free agents, right? And it yeah. feels um, Joe Sackick has a little bit more wiggle room than we maybe thought a week ago. So I guess what do you anticipate anticipate being done? You brought up Nazem Kadri, how it feels like Joe Sackick's making an effort to make that work, but at the end of the day, it might not work. Still waiting on Val Nachushkin. It sounds like AAV is what's up in the air there. Um, I guess your two takes on those two guys and other free agents that might be looming. Yeah, I think um, Val Nachushkin, I think the Avalanche, I would expect that they're going to get it figured out. Um, granted... I know if Nachushkin goes to market, he's going to make a lot more money than the Avalanche can offer him, but it's not to the level of Kadri or Kemper where it makes sense for him to go. Um, there is a level of, for his case or for his sake, putting a few dollars on the table to play in a good situation in a situation you like. Nick Paul just signed a seven-year deal making 3.15 with the Tempe Lightning per year. Outrageous. Just bonkers. Because he could have went to market... He's not a completely proven player, but we saw in the playoffs how good this guy is. He will be. He will be. And, again, goes back to my summer of 2025 thing. He could have went to market and made three years, $15 million somewhere else, in my opinion, and then been a free agent in 2025. So in 2025, when the salary goes up to nearly $100 million, and in 2026, when the salary cap is maybe $101, $102 million, and fourth liners are signing for three, four million at that time because of the inflated cost. Nick Paul's still going to be under contract for three point one five. He's going to feel like Nathan McKinnon. Exactly. Yeah. So, but but to a bigger extent. So, Val Nachushkin. You know, the reason why I bring up Nick Paul is because he left a lot of money on the table to stay with Tampa Bay. He's he found a good situation, a situation where he can be steady and have you know a more stable life with his family. And um, and I, I'm saying that not even knowing if he's married and has kids. But he knows where he's going to play for seven years on a team where he enjoyed playing, where he had success in Tampa Bay. Not a bad place to live. No state task, tax either. So for Nachushkin, there is a level of that. He's not going to sign that kind of a deal. But there is a level of I can go to market and make five years, $6 million per year. Or maybe I can sign with the Avalanche for five years, 
5.5 a year or something like that. The contract that I think is going to end up signing for, I think the Avalanche and him will settle on a four-year deal at about 5.6 per year, maybe five years at 5.6, maybe up to 5.75. But I don't see it hitting 6 million. I don't see it hitting six years. Uh, the good thing about Nachushkin is he's a 2013 draft pick. He was drafted 10 spots after Nathan McKinnon, so he is young. Versus what do you think he could get on the market? I think he can get five years upwards of $6 million. So if, like you're saying, that margin, is, it's minimal. It's, it's a minimal margin. I think with the Avalanche, let's let's put it easy. I think with the Avalanche, he can get five years, 575. Five. I think on the market, he can get five years, 675. So you're leaving about $5 million on the table. Even if he gets $7 million, that's one and a quarter on the table over five years. You're leaving about six and a quarter million on the table as compared to Kadri, who might leave upwards of $15 million on the table. So it's a big difference. Yeah, and usually those teams that can pay just a little bit more are usually the teams at the bottom of the league, right? Because they don't have any stars that they're paying. They have a little bit of extra wiggle room. So then you risk going to a team where you're going to not win ever again. Exactly, yeah. So there's a, there's an element of don't fuck with happy that Nichushkin has. And there's also an element of this is a guy that was drafted by the Stars, had a good-ish rookie season, fell off of the cliff, went back to the KHL, came back again, had a full season where he didn't score a single goal, all have a penalty minute. Like he just had a terrible year with the Dallas Stars and then ends up taking, you know, Joe Sackick signed him to a league minimum one-year deal. So the Avalanche have put a lot into Nachushkin and I think it would be wise to bring him back. It would it would be a situation like Landeskog last year where suddenly Landeskog goes to UFA and you know that it's a disappointing thing. That's the level of concern that it would be if 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 Nichushkin ends up going to going to the market he's a player that should resign and um i know sakic's doing everything he can um but if he ends up going to market it would be a disappointment i think it would be because him and his agent are looking for the highest and biggest number which is not what i think he's thinking but we'll see well the clock's ticking here we are recording sunday night so he'll have monday and tuesday and part of wednesday morning to figure it out yeah so uh yeah he's got a handful of guys to lock up i'm confident we're gonna see a couple of them trickle through here I don't know if any of the UFAs, I don't I don't believe they're going to get to market. Um, or I guess the RFAs, sorry. The RFAs are not yeah, going to get to the market. Um, I know that, obviously, Archery Lekkinen. Archery Lekkinen, someone could give him an offer sheet, but I doubt that's going to happen. I think he'll, I think he's also uh, arbitration eligible, but I think he's going to end up, um, I think he's going to end up siding with the Avalanche. So he's fine. Um what I'm curious about is the extra money you got from not going with Kemper and going with a guy like Georgiev. Is that going to be enough money to bridge the gap with uh, someone like Nazem Kadri, which I doubt? Or is that going to be enough money to keep Josh Manson? Burakovsky, I feel like... I know Burakovsky wants to stay. There were some reports that Peter Ball had about him today about him wanting to stay with the Avalanche, but there's not much going on there. And I'm sure Peter Ball probably has contact with, with Burakovsky's agent, which I always think it's hilarious because I know agents are never going to tell you the truth like the agent isn't going to be like yeah Nichushkin's willing to take less to sign with the abs they're always going to shoot higher to kind of you know put the ball back in Sackick's court but yeah I don't know if the feeling's mutual there right Andre Burakovsky yeah. might be wanting to return I don't know if the Avalanche want yeah. him to return because and- look the reality is if Nichushkin resigns and Lekkinen resigns and you got McKinnon and you got or not McKinnon you got Landeskog and you got Rantanen those are your top six wingers and read into this how you will or don't read into it at all, but I heard out there, rumor on the streets, is that Andre Burakovsky sold his car already 
He's already ready to, to get out of Denver. So I don't know. It's, I don't know if that means anything. Right, he could probably on, just get a new car. Yeah, the writing's on the wall. He's a $4.9 million winger that had a 61-point season that's likely going to get a pay raise that was playing on the third line and healthy scratched in the playoffs. The writing's on the wall there. This is a team that just saved a million and a half in goaltending. They can't afford to have Burkowski making five and a half on the third line. But I do think the uh, – I think there's – a little more hope that Josh Manson sticks around. I think that might be Josh what that Manson, extra money is for. That's a big one because Josh Manson wants to stay. That's a guy that the Avalanche could keep around. But then when you keep Josh Manson, then there's more questions because you have Taves and Makar making $9 million and $4 million. You have Byram and, and Gerard. Byram's still on an ELC for another year, and Gerard's making five. And then you have EJ making six, and Manson, who would make, what, five, four and a half? He'd probably make more than that on the market. Jake Muzzin makes 5.6 in Toronto. And he's also 34, 35, and Manson's younger than that. So um, it gives you a lot of defensemen making big money, and it kind of makes me wonder, especially with Byron on his last year of an ELC, if Sam Gerard gets traded this summer or next summer because that's a guy that the Avalanche might also want to move. So um, there's just a lot of balls up in the air, and Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland have a lot of decisions to make. But I think what the extra money for Kemper does is it gives you more of an understanding of potentially putting in a higher bid for Nazem Kadri, although I think the biggest thing with Kadri is years, not AAV. Because I think the Avalanche could give him three years, $8 million. I just think someone's going to be silly enough to give him seven years, $8 million. Um, Josh Manson becomes more of a possibility. Or maybe it's just extra money that you keep in your back pocket for the trade deadline and for McKinnon's impending deal that he's going to sign probably this summer sometime. There's one thing that's for sure. When it comes to free agents and trades, Joe Sackick is unpredictable. There's always things that come yep. out of left field, things that we never saw coming. So I fully expect that in the next three days as well. I mean, we could talk about all these ideas as much as we want. We know something's going to happen that we didn't know or even thought of. Um, curious to see what that ends up being, but that's always been a fact, right? You and I can sit here and predict rosters all day. We could predict lineups. We could predict... Um, you know, differences in, in strategies. But when it comes to Joe Sackick, that guy is unpredictable. The Devon Taves trade, the way that it was broken publicly was by the PR team of the Islanders and the Avalanche because nobody had any idea that that was coming. Which brings me to the next case. The deal that was, uh, the deal that was had between the Avalanche and the Rangers the other day, the way that I saw it on Twitter, there was zero rumblings of it. The way that I saw it on Twitter was the New York Rangers Twitter account saying, we have traded Georgiev to the Avalanche for a third, a third, and a fifth. So, again, unpredictability, nobody knowing what's going to happen, um, and just, you know, good solid work by Joe Sackick. Him, like Steve Eiserman, they like to keep things under wrap. Like Lou Lamorello of the Islanders, they like to keep things under wrap where it's not usually the move that you expect that happens and it comes out of the blue, like Georgiev, like Devon Taves. I remember when the Devon Taves trade happened. That was so random. Like, they had Zadorov still. They hadn't traded him for Brandon Saad yet. They had Ryan Graves. Do you remember when we had Ryan Clark on the show way, way back and we talked about him going to Seattle and how in 12 months there's an expansion draft and we said, who are the Avalanche going to leave unprotected? He said, probably this new guy, Devon Taves. And I'm like... Well, now look where that is. Obviously, Ryan had a reason for believing that because Ryan Graves had a great year. But it's always an unpredictable move from Joe, and I think it's going to be that again. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh, I don't know. I think we've gone through the docket. Anything else we want to discuss that we haven't already? Uh, 
just a couple of news and notes. Jacob McDonald got a two-year oh, deal. how did I forget that? It's, yeah. on, my, it's, on, the, dude, it's <laughs> on the docket. Two-year deal, and it was a two-way contract where he'll make uh, 762.5 AAV with, uh, with the NHL level and somewhere in the $400,000 range, I should say, in the AHL. So, again, depth piece like he was during the playoffs in the regular season. Call him up when you need him. Send him down when you need him. But he's a, he's a good trooper. And, and, you know, you always know who the Avalanche have a lot of respect for when it comes to you know, the very end players that were listed on the team at the very end and were on the ice to celebrate the cup and in Tampa Bay were guys like Jason Megna, Jacob McDonald, Eustace Ananen, um, and I'm probably missing one more. So it wasn't Martin Kaut. It wasn't um, Dylan Sakura. It wasn't guys like that. So, you know, Jacob McDonald is held in higher regard when it comes to those uh, uh, players that you call up from the AHL. So good deal for him. Um Obviously, we talked about Andrew Cogliano last time. We'll see what happens. A couple of UFAs we didn't mention today. Jack Johnson, Darren Helm. Very curious what happens with those guys. I would sense if they don't retire, they both come back. But we'll see. Um, so, you know, lot's going to happen. Like, by the time you guys listen to this, there might be some part of it that's outdated. We never figured out who that qualifying offer was. I thought it was Ryan Murray, but it wasn't. Ryan Murray was a pending UFA. Um I don't know. I'll, I'll probably tweet it when I do figure it out. Or hopefully one of our brilliant listeners yeah. knows the answer. They're sitting there. there was somebody. Like, oh, come on, Arif. It wasn't Ryan Murray and, and Darren Helm last year. I don't think it was 2020. But now I'm going way, way back. Like 2019 was the summer they signed Donskoy. And, or no, yeah, the summer they signed Donskoy and they traded for Kadri and Burakovsky and they signed a Chushkin. I don't know. There was somebody. Right? Either that or I'm crazy. I think you're crazy. I might be crazy. Um, well, I guess this is a great place to end the podcast for our Sunday edition here, getting you started with your week right with some more Avalanche talk because it may be the off season, but there's still a lot to talk about. It's not really the off season until about August when we get about three weeks to breathe. I would say about a week after UFA, UFA which is usually around July 7 and July 10, but this year UFA doesn't start until July 13, so around 13 to 23. Right on. So, of course, don't forget to check out our friends at Total Beverage as well as Superbook Sports. Other than that, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We'll be back later in the week for another podcast. If you made it this far in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. But bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. But that's what I get paid to do. So don't say murder, don't say kill. It was your destiny, it was a God's will. Through kill, David Moore, say what?